we're back with another episode of Awareness to Action Enneagram Podcast. And today we are jumping in to uh, let's talk about lines or how ATA likes to call it, the connecting points. There's there's many, 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 many theories out there. uh, And we would like to explore how Awareness to Action approaches them. Because like a lot of things through many, many years, there's been some refinements and gone a little deeper, a little more clearer. And so, yeah, let's let's start with defining what those connecting points are and what they're used for. Okay, so with the, with the connecting points, okay, everybody knows the Enneagram is a model of nine points and that there are these nine lines in a satanic symbol uh, inside this circle. <laughs> everyone knows. That it's 50,000 years old. <laughs> That it's 50,000 years old, yes. And uh, uh, no, so there, there are these, these lines connecting different points on the Enneagram. And various teachers place various significance on those lines. Uh, you know, I'm not sure where Echazo falls on that. I don't think that they're a big part of what he originally taught. I know hmm. that Naranjo didn't really teach anything about the connecting points. It was something that he sort of looked at as a a thought experiment for a while, is my understanding, but then didn't really find that there was much utility there. So I really don't know where the, you know, the significance of the connecting points originated, but I do find some value there. I do find that there is some value in looking not just at our own point, but at the two points that connect to it. Now, I say this, Building off the theme of our last episode, should we do a quick recap of the last episode, or should we just move on, Greg? We're um, uh, <laughs> just going to move on. I'm only kidding. I'm by only mentioning kidding. it okay, to okay. make sure that it gets posted before. <laughs> yeah, these all right. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, if you've recovered from the last episode, <laughs> if you're still listening, <laughs> yeah, going by our standards for rigor. What we want to do is explain exactly what we're claiming is the relationship between our point and the two connecting points. And all we can speak about is that, again, this isn't that, that some there's law, a line. That there are lines. <laughs> yes, there are these lines. This is accurate. And we have found that it's useful to explore the internal dynamics of the psyche in ways that are represented by these lines. Okay, what does that mean? Well, let's start off with what claim we are making about the Enneagram types in general, okay? And that is that at the root of these Enneagram types are adaptive strategies, okay? Ways in which we try to solve the problems that life brings our way. And what do we do when one strategy doesn't work? What does a company do when their business strategy is not working? Well, they find another strategy to try and get their goals met. Okay? And so the goal for each of us is to feel a certain way. I, as an eight, want to feel angry and controlling. Oh, wait, no, it's not that. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> it's uh, striving to feel powerful. Okay, So that's, that's how I want to feel. That's the end goal that I am seeking as um, an, a state of equilibrium. Right? If I feel powerful everything's okay. Now, sometimes my striving to feel powerful doesn't satisfy that need. 
I don't feel like I'm getting my needs met. I don't feel like what I'm getting. So what am I going to do? Well, I can try harder. I can apply this strategy even more. Okay, It's like pushing on a door that won't open. Okay, I can push and I can push. And if it's not opening, I can push harder. Okay, Or I can try a different strategy. I can pull on the door. I can knock on the door. There are other things I can attempt to do to meet the need of getting to the other side of the door. In my view, and I think Maria Jose shares this. Or um, I wouldn't be working with you. But <laughs> Exactly right. Wait a minute. You think that? Jeez, these 10 years are wasted. Now, um, it's 12. There is a common way of switching strategies, in a sense, and they're related to the connecting points. Meaning, there's a certain logic to the relationship with the connecting points that helps Meaning that those two connecting points will help us meet the needs of our preferred strategy, okay? More so than the other six will. Just to clarify, when you're saying that we use another strategy when the, the preferred strategy is not working, it is not a choice we make consciously. Right. Just like we don't choose uh, the preferred strategy every time we're doing something, it just happens. Same In the same way, when we switch or when we use another strategy in the one of the connecting points, it's not conscious. It just happens. But we can see the pattern. Mm-hmm. We see the dynamics working that way. Now, I, I have found it useful if I'm running up against a problem to to imagine what like for me, what would a one do or what would a two do? And then that way it is more conscious, but it's, um, but oftentimes it's more unconscious than it is conscious. Yeah. If, if I go back to my analogy of the door, right? So you, you push on a door and sometimes without even thinking, you just pull on it if pushing is not working. Other times you step back and you say, well, wait a minute, this door is not opening. Let me try to pull it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you're right. Sometimes it's conscious. Other times it's just a reaction in mm-hmm. ways. Okay. Now, contrary to what had been taught a long time ago, we use the connecting strategies in both positive and negative ways or adaptive and maladaptive ways, right? And this is how you can always tell a, you know, a new Enneagram teacher who's only read books because mm-hmm. they start saying, well, you know, the eight only goes to five when they're disintegrating or, you know, only goes mm-hmm. to two when they're integrating. Well, no, you know, even Rezo and Hudson haven't taught that in decades, okay? Right. So what everybody seems to agree on is that we use both in positive and negative ways. But again, from our perspective, it's because it helps us capture the goal of the preferred strategy, okay? Mm-hmm. And that creates, as we've said in previous episodes, like a profile. It's not that we... I'm a one, I become a four or a seven. I use the strategies at the connecting points in ways that are one-ish ways. It's not like a seven would or like a four would. Nobody's ever going to mistake Marie Jose as a seven. Come on. Right? Even though, oh, come on, Marie Jose, I'm sorry, but it's, you know, come on. And nobody will ever confuse me with a two. Right, definitely, uh, definitely. Right, I mean, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. Now, Somebody does this worse. mean because of your name? Remember, 
Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, a woman told me that uh, because of the number of letters in my name, uh, that I must be a, uh, a two and not a Was she considering your real name or your Well, she wasn't. That's the thing. Name. Now, Mario is not my real <laughs> name. Yeah, so, yeah it's, it's my stage name. You know, so. Stage name. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that was the only time anybody's ever confused me as being a When two. we finish with this um, series of episodes, we'll tell Mario's real name. So keep tuned. You have to stick around. <laughs> <laughs> That's the carrot on the stick. <laughs> So, where were we? Oh, yeah. So, so yes, Maria Jose, as Maria Jose is saying, is that we put our own sort of flavor on the connecting strategy, okay? And just because we say we're doing it to reinforce the preferred strategy doesn't mean we're reinforcing the preferred strategy in a necessarily negative way, right? We're not, we're not quote-unquote, reinforcing the ego by using... In Rio's case, striving to feel excited in a way that reinforces striving to feel perfect. When Maria Jose is connected to that striving to feel excited, it's making her a better version, a more adaptive version of striving to feel perfect. Okay, not a more fixated version. Some of the time, but other times it works the other way. It does. Okay? So yeah. So our point is that sometimes we use the connecting points in adaptive ways and other times in maladaptive ways. Now, as coaches, we're not hugely concerned about the way that people use the connecting strategies in adaptive ways, right? If you're doing good, keep it up, right? What gets our attention is when people do it in maladaptive ways, and therefore the names we use for those connecting points reflect those maladaptive uses. And what we say is that one of those points is what we call the neglected strategy. And the neglected strategy is what others would call the uh, direction of integration or the, uh, the uh, security point. Mm -hmm. okay? So in the case of you, Creek, who is a, a four, your uh, neglected strategy is striving to feel perfect. Now, we're not saying that you don't ever strive to feel perfect. You do it in positive ways. You do it in negative ways. But when you get into trouble, when fours get into trouble, is usually when they're using that strategy in a maladaptive way. They're requiring other people to be perfect, okay? Or they're pissed off that what they're trying to do is not perfect enough or whatever, okay? Mm -hmm. Or when so, they're not um, using it... At, I'm sorry, when they're not using it at all, right? When I'm they're sorry. not using yeah. it at times when they should, they would, it would be helpful yes. to use it. Yes. Mm -hmm. I was actually talking about the contradiction, so I jumped over and you, you corrected me there. So they neglect striving to feel perfect because, well, if I follow the rules, then I'm just going to be one of those boring people who colors within the lines, like Maria mm -hmm. Jose, right? Mm -hmm. um, so Is that's there the any thing other that way? the four... <laughs> nope. <laughs> so, uh, so we use the per the neglected strategy, or we neglect the neglected strategy in ways to make us feel even more of our thing. I, as an eight, I neglect striving to feel connected because I have some non-conscious concern that it'll make me less powerful if I connect to people at the wrong time. Yeah, it's like we distort it in a way that makes it almost feel like 
it goes against our preferred strategy. So in my case, as a one, it would be point uh, seven, striving to feel excited. And too much excitement will definitely uh, go against feeling perfect because I will lose control. I will do things that I shouldn't be doing. Uh, so it's kind of risky to, to go there. But there's a part of me that wants to. So it's this ambivalence around it, but mainly because we distort it. And in our minds, it's something that it's, like, as I said, against, it goes against our preferred strategy. It's important to clarify real quick that the lines, think of them as like arms, right? You can't, you're not moving to that other number, right? You're, you're using that arm, grabbing that and bringing it back yeah. to your preferred strategy. Yeah, yeah that, that's, the, first of all, a really good analogy. I like that. Um, and, and an important point, right? <laughs> because we wow. get... The, <laughs> yes, Greek, that was a compliment. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> First one I've received. What episode are we in? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People fall under the impression that I'm becoming another type when we migrate in some way, or that I should be. You know, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna be like a two for a while. Oh, good luck. It ain't gonna happen. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, it's all these are strategies, okay? So we're I'm gonna I'm gonna use this strategy either consciously or not. It also and Mario Jose started to touch on this. It, it starts to when we're neglecting the strategy, it can cause another phenomena that's worth noting, right? Because this is when we start to use the strategy, the so-called neglected strategy, we use it but in a maladaptive way. And one of the reasons is, is because part of our psyche is trying to suppress it. In Maria Jose's case, as, a, as you know, what often happens with ones is, no, that striving to feel exciting is a bit dangerous. Striving to feel excited is a bit dangerous. So I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna push it out of my mind. I'm gonna you know, shove it into the closet somewhere. And then like everything else we shove into the closet, eventually it comes leaking out. Okay. And so we start to see this, this uh, specific phenomenon in ones who have repressed striving to feel excited too much. Uh, I don't know, Maria Jose, why don't you give an example of what that might look like? <laughs> I was going to ask, Mario, what's leaking out of your closet? <laughs> you know, you know, <laughs> we'll come back to that. Go yeah, ahead, Maria so Jose. In my case, it's a one. It's... Um, the contradiction that we're talking about, we call it restraint versus indulgence. So there's a part of me that wants to indulge myself. And and that's very, I don't want to say very active, but it's present a lot of times. But then in my mind, it's kind of wrong. I shouldn't do too much of that. So because I need to apply, if you say it that way, restraint. Uh, and, but... I do it anyway, but hide it. So if you're expecting something big, no. For example, if I eat a chocolate, I'll do it on my own and not publicly or things like that. I do other things as well. And in general, the belief or the mindset is that I shouldn't be seen 
because I'll be criticized. I should be behaving in a way that it's how it should be. So that's kind of the contradiction, but then I do it anyway. It's funny, I'm doing this uh, series of little essays on Facebook every weekend where I explore some of my favorite things. I'm, I'm going to do one in the near future about vices. And I have a uh, kind of a motto that I live by of never trust anyone who's not, who doesn't have at least one openly visible vice. Because what it means is they're pushing it into the closet somewhere and, you know, it's festering and growing. So uh, I think that people should be proud of their vices and, and uh, publicly show them and parade them so that, <laughs> so that one not need worry about what's in the closet, right? Uh, mm. you know. But that's how an eight thinks. So, yeah. yeah. That's one way of looking at the world. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> I'm just trying to pick which vice it is I want to write about. So I yeah, we'll get there. And, and then stuff the rest of them in the closet. There you go. Um, yeah. You know, I, I just wanted to add about, I mean, with the contradiction, and maybe I'm jumping ahead here, but in our work as coaches, in my experience at least, looking at that and looking at, the distortion we have with the neglected strategy and trying to reframe it or see it as more adaptive and something that can add value to our preferred strategy. So if I'm more excited, continuing with my example, if I'm more excited and have fun and do things that maybe I shouldn't be doing, people will relate to me better. I mean, they will feel like I'm not this perfect person uh, who you cannot tell anything, but I'm just a normal human being, which I am, of course, but I don't pretend to be perfect. And so if I relax and do all these, these things and share them, as Mario was saying, sharing my vices, I've come to realize that people, I get closer to people. And that feels more perfect than kind of hiding it. So it's not about feeling more excited. I will not do it unless it makes me feel more perfect. And that's the way to kind of incorporate it. So in our work, we do that. And looking at the contradictions for each type, it's a really good way, like a door into some issues that um, can be worked with. We could almost say that both directions are both directions of integration and disintegration, right? Or stress and security, whatever terminology we want to use. Because, believe it or not, people are complicated. And they don't just follow these laws of, you know, the Enneagram. And so eights don't only you know, neglect striving to feel connected. We have a complicated relationship with that strategy. And when we are working with that strategy in some way or experiencing that strategy in some way, it can also lead to a complex series of phenomena, right? The contradiction that Maria Jose is talking about, right? Or a positive version of it or something else, okay? The important question is, what's happening to me right now, 
related to my preferred strategy. How is my how are my two connecting point strategies at play here as well? And what do I need to do differently? And all this these connecting points do is they point us, again, they're the finger pointing to the moon, like the Enneagram is, of don't forget about these things that might be going on as well, right? Um, these are some possibilities of things that you might want to think about and you might want to work with a little bit and integrate whatever's happening with you related to either your preferred strategy or one of the strategies at the connecting point or something else entirely. Right? So we've talked before about the Enneagram being a problem resolution protocol, okay? meaning it's a list of prioritized steps to take. Look here first. If that doesn't solve it, look here second, because that's more likely to be a problem than this thing that's number 12 on the protocol. And the Enneagram works the same way. If you're a four, look at what's happening with striving to feel unique. If that's not solving your problem, look at points one and two. Because we have found that there's a higher likelihood that there'll be something related to those two points that's throwing you off course than the other points. We have not said much about the support strategy, have we? Why don't you go ahead, Mariosa? So the support strategy is a strategy that also reinforces our preferred strategy. We use it more kind of naturally than the neglected strategy. There's not so much of a distortion, but as with the other one, we also use it in adaptive and maladaptive ways. It's just a more natural arm we go to. It's like I'm right-handed or left-handed to continue with the metaphor, you know. Uh, yes, the great yes. metaphor. That's really great, impressive and great, wildly great, amazing. Greatest metaphor. Yes. Um, <laughs> and so we do it in both ways. And for example, in my case, as a one, I use type four as a reinforcement, as, as, as a support. And I don't know if that's the same in English uh, than in Spanish, but support sometimes is perceived as positive, uh, at least in Spanish. And it doesn't have to be that way. It's, it could be useful or not useful when I use that strategy. It's like a crutch versus yeah. like a hiking stick. Like a walking stick of some sort, yeah? Did I get that one too, Mario? Yeah. Oh, okay. Right. I'm trying too hard. Look. No, that, 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 that is good. That, that is good. the previous one, Creek. Yeah, okay. And enjoy. And draw on that one for the next five years until the next one. <laughs> no, it, 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 no, it works. It, it's, it's, it's not as good as the other one, but, it, you know, it works. Yeah, yeah, that's, um, fair. that's fair. So support strategies. What what else can we say about the support strategy that would be helpful? So the reason we make this distinction, because again, we could call them both support and neglected strategies, right? Um, but the reason we refer to this one as a support strategy is because that each Enneagram type will get into trouble when they over-rely on this connecting point to reinforce or support their preferred strategy. So for Maria Jose as a one, when she 
uses Can we leave Maria Jose alone for a while and move to other types <laughs> so that people get a broader kind of sense of what yeah. we're talking about here? Okay, sure. All right, so let's talk about point... Uh, eight. Uh, no, no, give me a point. Eight, okay, well, there you go. Um, yeah. So with the point eight, for example, I, I, so here's, here, here's, a, here's a good example, okay? I don't know if it's as good as the arm thing, but it's a good example. Uh, Obviously. For, for my for for my other podcast, uh, the Enneagram in a Movie podcast, um, you're doing the full I just promotion. Watched, I mean, self promotion thing here. Aren't what you? can I say? What can I say? I just watched, rewatched the movie Master and Commander with Russell Crowe. He plays a ship captain in the uh, Napoleonic Wars. Great movie. Very much an eight character, and there's a scene where one of the crew members goes overboard. They're in the storm. Piece of the mast goes into the water. And they have a choice. They can cut the ropes tied to the piece of the mast that is acting as an anchor and going to sink the ship. But if they do that, the other crew member who fell overboard is going to drown. And so the captain has to make the choice. Do I keep trying to save this guy and risk losing the whole ship? Or do we cut these ropes knowing that he will certainly die? But I save the rest of the people. So what you can see him doing is emotionally detaching from the plight of this poor guy who's drowning. Because he knows that in order to be the powerful captain and for the greater good, he has to set aside his emotions. Okay. So that's a positive version of it. But then there's the negative version of cutting off your emotions, of striving to feel detached, because it allows the eight who is in a negative place to commit cruelty and abuse to others. If I can detach from my emotions, it's easier for me to harm you if I choose to do so. That's a maladaptive version. So, but again, both of them, the, both the adaptive and maladaptive applications are reinforcing this feeling of power I need in order to act. I'll share another maladaptive use and that it's not so extreme. And it's, for example, if you're suffering, disconnecting from your pain so that I don't, so that I continue to feel powerful, might not allow you to kind of process that appropriately and deal with it. And, and it's funny because we were talking about letting this person die. But on the other hand, I've coached several AIDS. And because of the um, neglected strategy, the connection, the connecting point to two, I see them having a really hard time firing people. You know, so it's, they feel like now they are, they have to protect them. They need to care for them. So they cannot fire them. Unless, for example, it's extreme and other people will die. But if there's no such risk, they will probably continue to have them under the, their wing, even if they're not delivering. This is a wild question, but let's see what happens. Are you ever using both of the connecting points at the same time. Yes. 
And that's all we have for today. <laughs> well, you know, and, and again, the eight's a good example of that, right? So if, so are you using them both? Okay, so um, there's a great TED Talk by Joan Halifax, the Tibetan Buddhist nun, where she is talking about doing work in hospice with people. Now, she seems kind of like a one to me. I don't know, Maria Jose, what, what are your mm. thoughts after watching that video? One or eight, in your view? No, she's an eight, I think. You think she's an yeah. eight? Okay. All right. Uh, well, it fits, right, certainly with what she's saying. Because what she is saying is that in order to be a good hospice worker, to, to sit with people who are dying, hmm. you have to be both detached and compassionate at the same time. And you have to be strong, right? So you have to you have to be strong to endure the suffering of others. You can't shut down emotionally because then the person feels abandoned. And yet there has to be at the same time detachment to protect yourself and to maintain good judgment. So I would suggest that at our best, we're all using the three strategies at the same time. Mm. So the four is striving to feel unique, but they are also using point two, empathy, compassion, care, love, connection, and they're striving to feel perfect in the sense that they're being sufficiently rigorous for what they need to be doing, right? And this is the work. It's to recognize our relationship to all of these connecting points. Starting there, right? Eventually we can get to the other six points if we want, but start with the three. And how do I go from using these strategies in a screwed up way that causes me to suffer and the people around me to suffer to using them in an adaptive way that helps me to heal and helps me to uplift the people around me. That's the work. Now, so why not just try to use all nine strategies in healthy ways all at the same time, right? If you've got the time, go ahead, <laughs> right? Go ahead. You know, is that right? I, knock you know, yourself out. You knock yourself out, kid. Um, you know, <laughs> great. Okay, um, if that's what you aspire to, then, you know, go ahead. But I have found that, again, every, every piece of effort has a payoff. So I would just ask, what is the payoff there? And what is the biggest payoff for your energy? And I have found that the biggest payoff for your energy is focusing on your Enneagram point and the two connecting points. And the other things are at best incremental and relatively minor adjustments. It's almost as if when you're working on those three points, your preferred strategy and the two connecting points, and you start to get a handle on using them effectively and adaptively, it's like it kind of breaks something up, right? Hmm. And the other strategies, and to Maria Jose's point, the core quality is even more important, right? The core qualities start to emerge 
more naturally. Yeah, it gives you but more like, more flexibility. Yes, yes, yes. But your preferred strategy in those connecting points are kind of like the kind of like the log jam, right in the river. And when you work with those and get those going, then the other stuff starts to happen. Yeah, and I would make a distinction in terms of working with the other strategies. I think that I've seen people say, okay, I want to develop them all. Like um, for a period I'm doing one and then the other. Well, that's personal choice. But sometimes in some specific situations, you can say, like you were saying at the beginning, Creek, how would a two behave or how would a um, one behave? I'm just mentioning your connecting points, but other connecting, I mean, other strategies. In my case, for example, when I'm thinking about leadership, I do have the eight as like a, um, how do you call it? A role model. Yeah. An ideal to aspire toward. No. I do have the eight as like an archetype that has certain sure. traits that I want to develop. But, mm-hmm. and, and it helps me to visualize it as an eight so that it, mm-hmm. it is easier for me to develop those skills. But it is very specific to certain activities and I don't do it all the time. But if there's a need, I kind of use as as a tool. But it's not like I'm trying to develop my eight. No. Yeah, because if if we stay with this analogy, and it's a really great point, Mariose, there are lots of eights who are really lousy leaders that you don't want to emulate. They're bullies and they're tyrants and they're, you know, blind to the needs of other people. So it's not the eightness that we model for to be a better leader. Mm-hmm. It's healthy leadership qualities that we also happen to see more commonly in fairly developed eights, okay? And, you know, I always tell my clients to look for role models, right? If there's a behavior you want to develop, look for a role model, okay? Who does that well? And then start doing what they do. So in this sense, you might say, okay, well, I I know I, I want to be more assertive. Who do I know that does that well? Most of the examples that come to mind tend to be eights, so I'm going to start doing what they do, Hmm. right? But it's not their eightness that I'm trying to copy. Hmm. It's a behavior that they just happen to model well, right? Uh, A a bit of a bunny trail, but similar to what we're talking about. But someone was asking me about the use of the Enneagram with, with kids. And I just, I cautioned against since like their brains aren't as developed yet they, there's a lot of learning that needs to happen before that can accurately and well be well applied so i said I, I typically suggest focusing on the aspects of the number so so what does it as as little tommy like what does it mean to be powerful to feel powerful to act powerful what does it and and using those as tools of learning rather than identities or you are this. Like we're we're trying to get away from that. So what are those healthy aspects that you can yeah. integrate and think about? Yeah. And that's perfectly reasonable, right? And and I think that's a good approach. Uh, you know, we've had this conversation before, but I I don't teach my I don't talk to my sons about enneagram types. Not that they mm-hmm. care about it. 
because they couldn't care less. They're boys, and boys are idiots, right? I mean, you know, you know, I find that girls tend to be more open to it, right? But you know, mm-hmm. it, it's funny because my my son called me a while back. He's got a girlfriend. He's in college now, and uh, he's got a uh, a girlfriend that they've been together like for over a year. And he says, uh, "Oh yeah, Grace." Uh, Grace just found out you're an Enneagram expert, right? And she's into the Enneagram, right? Now, here he'd been dating her for like a year, and it just never came up before, let alone that, you know, that's what I do for a living, right? He couldn't couldn't care less, okay? But to your point, we talk about these things that are just natural, healthy qualities to have, and the Enneagram can be a good reminder of what some of those healthy, happy Mm -hmm. things are. So to summarize our approach to the connecting points, it's very complicated, like most things related to the Enneagram. They're good reminders of things to look at that help us see some of the things we're struggling with. There are particular patterns that we see, okay? But what it comes down to is we use the connecting points in good ways, adaptive ways, and maladaptive ways. And the important thing to do is look at how is this strategy and my relationship to it undermining my well-being and what can I do about it? Really, the only thing I got out of that is that I made a good analogy with the arms. And and something that (laughs) popped into my mind, because it was, it was a really good analogy. And I'm going to extend it. (laughs) When it comes to ah, looking okay, at the other, in the next it. episode, it will be his. Okay. In the next, in I'm the coming to, episode, <laughs> it will be his. Analogy. So, like I said before, <laughs> no, when it comes to the other points on the enneagram, we can teach ourselves to use a fork with our toes, but it's mm. not going to be a good use of time. Okay, so we have two arms. So focus Unless you on don't those. have arms. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> then of course, you know, again, the problem resolution protocol, I don't have arms, so I have to learn to use them. No, no, you can cut toes. all of that, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, not working. The visuals are just, uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, well, that wraps up whatever that was. And... Uh, Thanks, everyone, for listening. Hope this was helpful, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Awareness to Action Enneagram podcast. If you're interested in more information or talking to Mario, MJ, or myself, feel free to reach out to us through the links in the show notes or by emailing info at awarenesstoaction.com. All episode transcriptions and further information can be found at awarenesstoaction.com slash podcast. 